Well, we're so honored to have Juan Ruiz and Chia on the Globe Screen podcast. Welcome, Juan. Yeah, thank you. And I guess please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, I had my first photographic camera when I was 11. And someone gave it to me as a present for Christmas. And I think that's where it started the whole thing. You know, I, I enjoy doing photos at that time in Spain. <laughs> and uh, hey, which, which part of Spain did you grow up in? It was in Malaga, <laughs> south of the, the country. And uh, yeah, I had that camera. I started doing photos and I did more, I did more. And then uh, uh, went back to Bilbao, where I was born. You know, uh, and then I was with that fixed idea that I want to continue photography. And the only uh, school in Spain that was uh, good for photography was the cinematography school. So it was uh, from photography, from photography to cinematography, from photography to films, and that was the only serious school where a lot of the directors and cinematographers from Spain started their career. In, uh, it's called the Escuela Oficial de Cinematografía in Madrid. And that was a great school. It was uh, uh, the imitation of uh, the, which spells L-O-D-Z in Poland, with Polanski study there and Great, oh wow! Uh, cinematographers and yeah, that was uh, at one point was the best school in the world uh, in the 60s, 70s, together with the Centro Experimentale de Cinematografía in Rome, uh, IDEC in Paris. And, and did you grow? Did you must have grown up loving films, right? Uh, I started, you know, when I um, moved into cinema. Cinematography, I start uh, getting into films. Uh, so uh, at that time, when I started the school, I had to be 21 to start the school in Madrid. I cannot be younger. So I waited for 21, applied, and I was lucky, different circumstances, that they accept me. They accepted like a seven or eight, very, very, Many minimum people. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was the, the Escuela Oficial de Cinematografía in Madrid. And I started on the 70, 1970, and I went there for four years. I wanted to repeat one year that had to do with the use of the camera, how to move the camera. So I repeat that year. That was my third year. And the rest, you know, from the very beginning, that school, we started everything in black and white, except the third year that was color. So uh, I, we started at the beginning being, being uh, camera assistants and then operators, second year and third year DOPs. So I started very early doing films in black and white. Uh, all on 16, 35 millimeters. My first camera when I was 20 was uh, a reflex uh, 35 millimeters. Wow, that's so a great was, camera to have when you're 20 years old. <laughs> so I, I, I really was a big step for me. Yeah, that school uh, had a big studio and uh, I jump very fast, you know, I start uh, looking at films. I was very uh, impressed with the uh, neorealism, the, <laughs> the Italian modern school of it, like Paso Pasolini and films like that. Pasolini was among them, but uh, primarily it was uh, Fellini and you know, uh, Visconti, uh, you know, uh, great directors that uh, they all disappear afterwards, <laughs> but. Uh, at that time, there was a director of photography that was uh, the first one that uh, to me impressed me. His name was Gianni Di Benancio. <laughs> and he photographed eight and a half. That, oh, the uh, Fellini film. Yeah. Fellini did it. And he photographed uh, Obsessione. 
with uh, Visconti, uh, photograph movies with Francesco Rossi, who was a great director, uh, uh, Salvatore Giuliano, for instance, was you know, one of them. And then there were other DPs that I follow, uh, Pasqualino Di Santis <clears throat> was one of them, the photograph, uh, Romeo and Juliet. And he got an award, Oscar award for that movie. Pasqualino Di Santis used to be assistant of this first DP that I told you, Jerry Di Venenzo. So uh, <clears throat> also at that time of my learning the school in Madrid, the free cinema, there was a school after the neorealism, it was a school in the 50s, starting in the 50s in England, and was from the free cinema. And Tony Richardson was one of the directors. Uh, I remember one movie that impressed me was The Charge of the Light Brigade. Uh, incredible. And, uh, and then uh, Oswald Morris was another DP at that time, talking about early 60s when the free cinema started developing. At the same time in France, but I didn't follow was the Nouvelle Vague. Oh, the French New Wave? But uh, it didn't impress me, you know. I think uh, the Italians and the English were my best for me. And then the American the films, I started getting into them. And um, it was, uh, you know, very impressive. Uh, this was later, but uh, I came and Mrs. Miller. Oh, Robert Altman, the Robert Altman film. Yeah, uh, that incredible look. So yeah. I started following those movies and get interested in the schools in the USC, and I'm sorry, in the US. And uh, I look at them and I ask for, uh, I had, you know, while I was studying, I had a grant quite important in Spain uh, to, to make a movie in New York. And I did a movie, Black Modern Art, that was about the black uh, power uh, in the 60s. And there were four artists that I interviewed. And then I went back to Spain, and I, in Spain, I applied for a Fulbright, and they gave me a Fulbright to study in the American Film Institute. So uh, American Film Institute introduced me into the movies in the US. Uh, while I was studying in the school, I photographed like four or five movies, uh, feature films in Spain. <laughs> and uh, I had experience that, uh, you know, that I needed for the school. Uh, so uh, American Film Institute, when I finished, right after finish, uh, I did uh, Stone Boy with Robert Duvall, Glenn Close. Uh, and then from that one was for the Fox, Century Fox. And then from that one, I was very lucky to photograph Maria's Lovers, uh, director, Russian director, Konchalowski, that he was very experienced. And uh, that's where my understanding of photography start changing. Konchalowski, uh, as a director, it was a very different than uh, all my concepts in, in photography. Introduced me into a new way to express myself in a personal way in photography. Uh, so I learned from him. Uh, what did that mean technically? I guess, what, what, what was the new way? Well, the new way was the units that I used. Uh, at that time, we didn't have HMIs. You know, the new lights, HMIs came later. True. But, yeah. so Because you were uh, using like tungsten lights and tungsten things lights like that, right? And they would yeah. get hot, very hot. <laughs> very hot. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember photographing one of the most beautiful scenes in that movie. That uh, well, there in the background is the kitchen. So more light, put more light. We start putting ten case bounds. No more light. <laughs> he was completely right about the the style. No, uh, I mean he was Russian director, a Russian background, he, very different than the American. 
and uh, the European, uh, but especially the Americans. Uh, so uh, after Maria's Lovers, uh, I, I learned that uh, how to have a, to establish a rapport with each director, rapport to, uh, an understanding with each director to create uh, a look for a movie. You know, uh, and then uh, when I did Stone Boy before Maria's Lovers, uh, I, I follow my instinct. I didn't have a director who told me this I want, this I don't want, you know. Uh, then... Uh, yeah, I, um, Stone Boy was directed by Christopher Kane. Yeah. And who ended up, I guess, directing Young Guns and The, no right. the Next Karate Kid. Well. Was that was Stone Boy what you think of as your first feature film? Even though you had done uh, yeah. other feature films as, in Spain, but I guess was uh... yeah, I, yeah, you are right. That was my first feature in the U.S. And I, I think it's from there everything went in the way I like it to go. Nice. Uh, with Chris Kane, I photograph like a, three or four more movies. <laughs> yeah. And, and so. what what was it like uh, working on that? What, what was that experience like really working on that feature film? On Stone Boy? Yeah. Uh, well, I think that was the first movie for Chris Kane. So he gave me total freedom because he needed my help a lot. But the. And that was with Robert Duvall and Glenn Close. Yeah. And, um, and I guess a young Dean Kane. Yeah. Is he related to Chris, Chris Kane? Are they really? No, his sons. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Because Dean Kane ended up, you know, having some success as an actor himself. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. And we did another movie together afterwards. Uh, yeah. So uh, after uh, Maria's Lovers, uh, I'm sorry, um, some people saw it because they had good distribution here. And they called me to do uh, the movie uh, with Sean Penn uh, that I photographed. At Close Range. Yeah. And uh, in that movie, At Close Range is where by learning, they learn in Maria's Lovers, I apply myself. <laughs> and that was my first movie with Jamie Foley. Uh, and yeah, you, you, you ended up working with him Uh, on several films, right? Glenn, 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 Gary, Glenn Ross, and the film Confidence. Yeah, Spartan. Well, Spartan was... Uh, David uh, Mamet, right? Uh, confidence, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, now, yeah. now uh, so I have to tell you a story that when I was a kid, uh, I used to stay a lot with my grandparents, and they had MTV, and mm -hmm. I used to see the music video the Madonna music video that oh. showed the clips from At Close Range. So yeah. a long time before I saw the movie, I used to see that music video over and over and over again as a very young kid. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, we did also a, a video after Close Range. We photographed Madonna singing that. Um, yeah, I saw that video many times as growing okay, up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Close Range was... Uh, a big departure for me in my own, I don't know, expression about cinematography. And uh, it was uh, at that time, it was, uh, people look at that movie in a very good way, photographically, because it was, uh, it was done in a different way. <laughs> you know, uh, the style was uh, very powerful. Anyway, uh, by the way, I'm a huge Christopher Walken fan. I, I think he's a fantastic <laughs> actor. What was it like working with him? Oh, he is quiet. He uh, speaks during lunch if you are next to him. Uh, I did also a music video for Madonna later that he was an actor. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> nice. So I photographed twice with him. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I don't know, maybe you see it better than me. But uh, it's the second video, music video I did with Madonna. Yeah. Do you ever, th do you ever think it's difficult? This is something that I often think about um, when it comes to cinematography, because I've been on a lot of 
film sets. I'm also uh, a director of independent films. Um, oh, okay, good. And sometimes I've been in situations where obviously it's you know it's a close up and the the actors can't move even a little bit because they might be out of focus. Do you ever think sometimes that's a tricky balance between getting a beautiful looking shot that's very cinematic, but also giving some freedom to the actors to give leeway yeah. to their performance? Yeah, you, you get to know very fast the style of an actor, the style of a director, the style of a producer. In the first week, you know, if you have experience. And uh, you know, when you photograph uh, an actor, you have to help him. Actors need a lot of help. <laughs> if you confine an actor to be there and not move, you are losing an actor, you know, it's not good. Right. So you have to, you know, you have to help them. The actors need a lot of help from the director, from my position also, no? Yeah, a lot of guidance. Yeah, yes. I work with uh, many actors uh, and they're all different. They all express security, but they are insecure. <laughs> they always... Um, I don't know, they always have uh, the, their way, you know? Uh, Al Pacino goes into the makeup and he comes out of the makeup already in, in, in performance. <laughs> Nobody can talk to him, only the director. <laughs> and it could be uh, good, you know, when I first uh, worked with him in Glen Gary, it was one way and when I did the last movie with uh, Mamet, Phil Spector, it changed. <laughs> so they change also, no? Right, they, they evolve as, as, you know, in their personal life and even professionally and maybe in terms of how they like to work or approach certain yeah. roles and characters. That makes sense. And I know yeah. that some actors, and, and I always say that, if, if I'm directing 10 different, 10 different actors, I feel like I'm 10 different directors because I try to change my communication <laughs> style depending on the needs of yeah. the actor each of them have different training, like you said, different ways of approaching their roles or finding their character. And, you know, having an awareness of that is, is of That's course the important. Way to, do it, to get into the psychology of what is there. Each actor, you know, I had, I, I've seen very good actors in, in terrible situations with directors. And the director, strong with them, which I think, uh, is one way to approach. If an actor is, uh, is not correct in the way he works, you have to, one way is to be strong with him and tell him, listen, this cannot happen again. And uh, it depends where, what are the other actors that he will respond to that or not. But when you work with a very famous actor, you cannot say that because they can threaten, you know, if they are more than you as a director. They have power. Yeah, they have the power. You know, they can shut down the movie. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, well, the way you do it is the right way, you know, uh, to get into the psychology and and to it's the same with the cameraman, you no. Know? <clears throat> but actors uh, are, uh, yeah. Do you know Maximilian Schell? You know this actor, right? Do you know Maximilian Schell? You know, I I know the name. For some reason, I can't put the name with the face. Uh, yeah. Well, he's a very good uh, German uh, type actor. Uh, he's done many wonderful movies. I think he has an Oscar. But when I photographed with him, we were in Africa. He didn't trust the director. <laughs> so after oh yes, I'm looking him up now. I, I I know who he is. He was in Deep Impact and yeah yeah. He did the the Jerry of Nuremberg, Nuremberg Jerry or. Yeah, yeah. A, a German actor. Yeah, I think it's from Austria, yeah. Anyway, this actor is, didn't trust uh, the director. <laughs> and uh, when he, it, after each shot, he looked at me, like a, a response from my face, instead of looking at the director. <laughs> and that really embarrassed me because, uh, you know, I, it's not the right way to do it, but uh, he was uh, such a professional actor that uh, he had to do it that way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've seen cases in uh, Maria Slovers, Tasha Kinski, for instance, she crying all the time. Why is she crying? Why? 
I never found out, but she, she used to cry and actor. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, in terms of my relationship with her, that was in Maria's Lovers, she came once in the middle of the set and said, Juan, I don't trust you uh, because I work, she did already, she has done tests. She already worked with Polanski. <laughs> And uh, say, I work with very good cinematographers and I don't trust what you're doing. And I was, you know, <laughs> I was, <laughs> you know, it really affected me, you know, but uh, I was following the director and uh, we're doing a good work. But when the movie got released, she came to me and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, oh, that you've done great. And <laughs> just apologize the whole thing. <laughs> so, but at that time she was suffering because other things, a lot of actors, they go into the movie and they have, a, they have problems, personal problems. Besides the problems with the director or the producer or whoever, they have personal problems they carry into that film. And you know, it's a very complex uh, life of an actor. <laughs> or they are in uh, drinking or they are in different things. You know? Anyway, I, right. I, and, and plus, I mean, yeah, it makes sense because, you know, if, if you, if somebody else has a personal program problem, if you're an accountant, you have a personal problem, you can still do your accounting, but as yeah. an actor, if you have a personal problem, it's on your face sometimes yeah. and you have to control your face for the role. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you could, yeah, it's, it's, I can imagine how, how that could be very difficult. Yeah. Uh, I generally didn't have problems with actors. I remember, this Matuszynski, also when I did the first movie with Mamet, House of Games, his wife, that is the lead actress, came to me once, uh, person to person, and said, I don't like what you're doing. I don't think it's right what you're doing. <laughs> that was, <laughs> was surprising, you know? That was very surprising. Yeah. yeah. The movie came out very good. <laughs> that was a good movie. I actually really enjoyed that movie. <laughs> Thank you. She had other problems. Uh, I think it was a problem jealousy because Mamet and, and myself, we had a very good relation. But at that time, she started having bad problems with, the, with his wife. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes, <laughs> then, I, I understand. Wars after the movie. But anyway. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you've worked with, you know, like you mentioned, James Foley uh, and David Mamet numerous times. What do you, what do you think, and you've, so you've worked with some pretty great directors. What do you think are some of the qualities that separate a director that's pretty good to one that's like really a master, like really yeah. masterful director? That's a good question. Uh, I think to me, everything is based in how the interpretation of the material, the written material, the script. So when you read the script, one director follows it, follows the written material with no questions. And the good director uh, questions the material and introduces his inter interpretation of the material. So uh, good directors, uh, they make an interpretation of the script. And, you know, medium directors, they follow the script. And as uh, you know, in the US, the script, you know, I learned that in American Film Institute, is the Bible. And the Bible is the script. And I don't disagree with that. But... Um, is, it, is it different in Spain? Is there a different dynamic yeah, in Europe? With different... Uh, the director had more power than the US. Uh, uh, here in America, the producer has the big power over the director, you know? And that's very, in Europe, in Spain, was the opposite. The director had more power than the producer. So he could, uh, a lot of the films, they don't have a finished script. <laughs> so the directors start with the unfinished script and they change it, you know, and in, in the US is difficult because here, the script is the basis for budget, very serious for schedule for schedule for the actors. The script is very important. And I agree with that up to a point. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, I agree with that up until a point as well. And 
I'm a writer director, but I still think that you always have to look at things like, like what you said before with the sort of discerning eye with a critical eye. And, mm. you know, even if you wrote the script, you still have to question it and scrutinize it until it's the best possible thing that it could be. And my mentality is more like, well, the script is not the finished thing. You know, it's not, mm. the script is not being released as like a, as a book, you know, the script should be a blueprint for the film. You know, if there's something that could be modified or be interpreted to make it better, then that should always happen. It happens in every movie uh, that I've done. I remember always script changes. The schedule is too long. What do we do? Too much budget. Cut the script. Yeah. New schedule. Uh, new uh, for the actors, new scheduling. Everything uh, in a close range. Uh, one of the writers was uh, Kazan. Uh, oh, it, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, the son of the uh, Oh, the son of Ilya Kazan. Yeah. And uh, he was so, uh, in that movie, the ones that had the power was Sean Penn and Jamie Foley. But this uh, direct, this screen writer uh, was too, uh, he wanted to change things. He was always in the set saying things and they not allow them in the set anymore. They had gotcha. to be in the set. <laughs> yeah. It was very frustrating for him. Yeah. I do remember watching that film, spoiler alert, Christopher Walken is not the greatest father. <laughs> He's not gonna win father of the year. <laughs> um, he actually ends up killing his kids in that movie. Um, that was very shocking. I remember watching that. I'm like, whoa, like that is something that I have not, I don't think I've seen before, you know, that the father is that much of a gangster that he's willing to murder his own sons. It was a real story, actually, that happened. So, uh, wow. That's <laughs> wild. Yeah. I didn't know, I had no idea it was based off a true story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was, uh, but anyway, uh, circumstances like that changes, you know, uh, Actors, uh, screenwriters, <laughs> uh, directors, they get in trouble too. Uh, Bob Rafelson, probably you know Bob Rafelson. <laughs> uh, uh, in the 60s, he did uh, great movies. I work in a movie with him in Canada, and uh, he had uh, terrible fights uh, with the actor. Uh, I'm not gonna say with him, because he was not good, this actor, he was, I'm not gonna say his name, but he's very famous. So uh, that movie with Bob Rafelson, he was a very strong director and uh, he didn't want to be put under the actor or any, anybody, you know? I had a very good relation with him. Uh, he also had a bad relation with the producers. There is a type of uh, the directors that uh, were powerful in the 60s, 70s, and they wanted to maintain their power. You know, when they do a movie, this is my movie. And nobody's going to be above me. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was like the wave of the American new wave, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With films like Bonnie and Clyde and then stemming into the 70s or so like Taxi yeah. Dr Driver and Robert, the films of Robert Altman. So, you know, it was a great, great era of cinema, right? Yeah. Bob Rafelson did very good movies. Uh, I, he told me once in anecdote that uh, one of the things he kind of retired from film industry because he had to punch a producer. Such a, <laughs> this is a big guy with big hands and you get intimidated, he's so tall. And so it's a respect, you know, this guy in front of you and the way he talks. So he had a problem with the producer, he punched him in the face and then his reputation went down. You know, if you get uh, an ex in Hollywood. He went to director's <laughs> jail. <laughs> That's what a they say. Of, a lot of directors, they, they went that way. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. uh, how about cinematographers? Like, what do you think separates like a cinematographer that's just pretty good versus one that's just great? Mm -hmm. I think uh, a good cinematographer is always consistent. You know, like uh, your personality is consistent. For instance, an example, no, and you don't scream and you don't, no. The consistency and it's very important in making a movie. 
uh, I think uh, your style has to be consistent from the beginning till the end. You know? And then it's powerful. When it's consistent, you see powerful movie. Uh, so so you so I, I i like what you said about the yelling that like even your demeanor ca- kind of keeping a coolness under pressure seems like it's an important thing because films are a very high pressure environment you know t- you're running against the clock there's so many people involved there's there's so much at stake in terms of financially like each day costs so much money you know exactly. and so every hour like every minute counts when you're on set so I think like that keeping cool under pressure and not getting overly worked up, overly upset or emotional, that's probably, a, mm. that seems like an important quality. Yeah, sure. um, I've seen a lot of things. Uh, in Glengarry Glen Ross, uh, there was a rap party. You know, it's the celebration, you finish a movie. I didn't go because I didn't like the way we were treated, the crew we were treating during the shooting of the movie. Oh, really? Was that from the director or? Among others. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, I didn't like it because the movie that we shot very fast also, no? Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, all yelling and screaming. And I, I don't tolerate yelling screaming. It's not necessary. But uh, some, let's say, directors, they do it to create a personality in a, in a problem they have you know, with the actors. For instance, if you are not strong with the actors and you need to be a strong personality, you start screaming, for instance, that made you strong. No? But uh, anyway, I don't agree with those philosophies. Uh, uh, I think uh, you have to treat the people as well as you can. A lot of abuses in shooting films I've been very lucky because, you know, going through the union, uh, these last things that are happening now, I never, never, they never happened to me. So, uh, I mean, all the movies, I cannot recall any situation that was uh, like now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, so, uh, so, I mean, that is a legendary film. You know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I know it was a, it sounds like it was a very difficult experience. Were you surprised about, you know, the overall success of the film? I don't know. I honestly, I don't know if it was financially successful, but I know that critically it's, you know, a lot of people talk about that film and, you know, that it was a great movie. It was, you know, you, you did yeah, a think- wonderful job shooting it and, and the performances I thought were really strong in the film. And it's a film that's often quoted as well. A lot of scenes in that film are quoted. <laughs> Very frequently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We had very good actors. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, the actors were terrific. They respect each other. Uh, I work very fast. You know, I could work very fast within the schedule. But, uh, you know, uh, it, was, it was a good... Uh, combination of uh, writing, good actors, and it went well, you know. Uh, what, what became your strategy of working very fast? Was that? Had- oh. Well, you learned that, especially working in American movies, you are the second most responsible in the set. First one is the director, and second one is me. Because <laughs> if something goes wrong in the shooting, in terms of days or budget, they come to the director or to me. That's, is that the way we are responsible? So I learned how to, how to do that. And uh, I wanted to always in my movies on a schedule. And uh, I know how to do it. I know how to f- photograph it fast. And uh, that was one of the movies that uh, needed to be fast because the commitments of the actors, they were so, big names that needed to be short times <laughs> in the set. That makes sense. And when you look back at all the films that you worked on, what was one of the most challenging but rewarding scenes that you ever mm-hmm. had to shoot? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I don't have because, uh, you know, all everything is an ensemble. So I don't consider one scene better or worse or you know uh, 
uh, or more challenging. They are challenging, you know, because you you are in the shooting, so all the challenge is there. <laughs> so uh, I mean, you you've done movies and you know that. So I I cannot uh, separate one scene. And I, I shot in Africa, I shot in many countries, in India, and in, in the studios, uh, Bombay. So, I mean, uh, difficulties everywhere <laughs> in Africa, in South Africa, in Zimbabwe, and uh, in India, in studios in Bombay, in Romania, I shot. In, <laughs> in what, about, what about an overall film? Is there one that you're one of the most proud of? of your, uh, how it turned out? Um, proud for the, I think a Glengarry in a close range, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps yeah. they- Those were great, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, in, in Glengarry, I create my own style. You know, a style that, uh, I mean, I, you have to have as a cinematographer, as a DOP a style that has an evolution that has with the story, no? So I was lucky to have that and to achieve it. Yeah, so <laughs> many movies in many different countries, mm -hmm. many crews, yeah. many languages. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's different ways of working in different areas that, you know, there's things that are in common, of course, but I'm sure there's, you know, I'm sure yeah, it's different. And, uh, in the Czech Republic, uh, for instance, uh, I work in Barandov. It's the main studio that uh, Hitler didn't bomb it because I, he used it as a propaganda for the, his ideas. So Barandov is still there. When I was there, it was complicated because I had to change the laboratory of Barandov into the terms that uh, are the our terms. So I had to bring someone from England, a technician that changed the whole laboratory. So the process and everything look like a, a laboratory from Europe or from the US. Uh, but I mean, we work in Barandov is uh, the crew, the electricians and grips, they were fantastic. Who could say, but they are. They are. But the Czech Republic had a good school of films. So, you know, it's logical that maybe I got lucky with the crew. They were very, very good. I work in Bolivia and uh, I choose my crew and I had to teach them how to use the lights and everything. So that was a different experience. And I, the beginning was frustrating, but afterwards I really enjoyed the crew also. No? so. I work with many different crews in in Canada also and in Germany and also in Spain. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I did in Malaria, which I shot in the Canary Islands. Also, it's a different crew. No, it's, yeah, nice. you have to learn, like you said, you have to adapt. You, you have, have to, to adapt. adapt. Yeah, I agree. And I'm also a big believer, and this is something that I've been talking about lately, is you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone sometimes. Because I think a lot of times people just feel comfortable doing the same things. And sometimes you have to consciously push yourself outside of your comfort zone and challenge yourself. And I'm sure you've constantly challenged yourself, and that's how you've become a, ma a master DP. Yeah, thank you. And when you go to a different country, like in India, a lot of, you know, we started with American crews we brought from the US and a lot of people got sick, terrible diarrheas and they, you know, they have to be shipped back wow. to the US and we brought uh, English crew. In Argentina, I shot a movie where also Americans, Americans get sick faster than British. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know the British. They drink. They they drink more than we do. <laughs> After each day, they go to drink, and they the next day they are perfect. Yeah. 
they can, they can handle it, I guess, a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and obviously you spent the majority of your career shooting on 35 millimeter film. Um, wh what do you think of digital cinema? Is that, is it like, what are your thoughts on, on the era of digital? Do you think anything has been lost on this era now that things are going more in a digital direction? I, you know, for me, the transition from uh, digital, from film to digital, it was very fast, but was one thing that really was amazing is that you take Dr. Zivago, Freddie Young, photographed it, and they had, they shot it, it's my color, 50, ASA, which was so slow that you needed to learn a lot about how to light, you know, because 50 ASA is so slow that you need big lights. Big heavy duty lights. And now in digital, you can go to 800 or more than 1000. Well, throughout the years, the ASA, you know, changed to be more and more. But in digital, definitely you can, you can shoot, uh, you know, 800, more than 1000, which makes a big difference for a DP. No, it's, uh, you can also push, which I mean, uh, instead of uh, shooting at 500, you can shoot a thousand or maybe 2000. And the grain, the quality of the result is very minimum. But at that time, when the torch wow, you know, if you push the film, you really annoying grain. So at that time, you had to know more about being a DP than now. Right. You couldn't rely on, you know, just what's in, you didn't have access to a big monitor at that time or video assist or, you know, you had to really understand exposure and. No, you know. the, the video started on the eighties here. Yeah. Here in, in other countries, even later. But uh, I think now it's, I would say digital is easier. So you don't need to learn a lot. It's easier to become a good director of photography because the technology is helping you. And you can go faster also because you, you know, as the film is faster, you need smaller lights. So uh, the amount of light is less lights, faster work, less crew. Everything is in favor of working faster with the digital. Uh, on, you know, at the end, you can be a director of photography easier now than, you know, years back. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but so, so, so there are some positive things about it. Do you think there are any negative things about digital? Negative things uh, is the amount of uh, equipment, perhaps. <laughs> it's too many cables, you know, like uh, in film, the way to shoot is a camera, in a battery and a cable connecting. That's all. Now you need more monitors, more crew, uh, more technology. You know, when I shoot sometimes commercials, so much technology that I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, because also you need technicians to, to work with that technology. First, the amount of crew, the amount of uh, technical things, you know. Uh, yeah, that doesn't mean that you can, you can also shoot with the minimal equipment if you want, no? But uh, my experience with digital has been more equipment, yeah. Okay. I think it's a negative factor. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And ha have there been any newer cinematographers that you've been paying attention to lately that you, that you oh. appreciate their work? I appreciate their the work, but uh, I don't follow them because... I'm going back to my beginnings, to the uh, neorealism, and I've got to the free cinema. That's my learning, is what I still, you know, if I have a Turner Classics in my TV set, I go for those movies. <laughs> I don't, I receive, a, because a member of the Academy, I receive a, all the movies, but uh, I tend to go to, to the classics. It's nice. much 
what what sort of advice would you give somebody that's pursuing a field of cinematography and to well yeah um one thing that i didn't mention it helped me a lot is i uh for each movie i always try to do something different because to be a good cinematographer is not to repeat yourself you know the same style same movements so uh that's one important thing another important thing is to look at books books of art or books of uh, photography something that inspire you to do something new and you know you can you can get inspired looking at photography still photography you can get inspired looking at a book of art you know and uh yeah and so that's very important my advice because i came from the schools is to go to a good school uh i don't i was offered when i was in the school in the american film institute to watch uh, good cinematographers uh, shooting at the time. You know, it was a Storaro, was, uh, I consider Storaro very good, but uh, I didn't have the time or interest, you know, because when you go to a, I always seen also watch Freddie Young photographing, and you know, uh, I, you go into the set and it's, uh, you don't learn much. You learn from you doing it. And in the film schools, if it's a good school, you, you do things. You start shooting small movies. And the American Film Institute, we start shooting videos the first year. And uh, constantly working, constantly doing, yeah, video, video movies with different directors, which also was very important to go and learn how to work with one director, another one. And, uh, at the same time, it worked very well that you also transition. I had to help other of my, you know, students to do to be a dolly grip, to assist them, you know, and they helped me. So everybody was transitional, doing different things. So you learn a lot about how to do a small movie, which is important later on. You know, the whole thing is to have a security in what you're doing, you know, and a film school gives you that because you shoot small movies that uh, started you, you know, and uh, even in the American Film Institute, it was called, at the time that I went, it was in Beverly Hills, a school for advanced studies. So you were supposed to have advanced studies some in film to be accepted. And I learned that very few students had those advanced studies. studies. No, I was, uh, because I was very lucky, one of the few. When you say advanced but, studies, like like in, uh, in other, it just in other, like not just cinematography, but just other kind of courses in general? I, I, my interpretation was an advanced school for people who've been in the smaller schools, all in film. This is film. Uh, the pass you want to pass from a school in Houston or in somewhere to the American film is a big step. Right. That's the way I understood the orientation. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. Um Ed, are you mentioned are you are you still are you still working on commercials and you're still shooting or uh, very, very little uh i'm for a feature shot in spain uh, in the canary islands but uh they're still working in the financing it's, it's very difficult now to uh i mean first of all the amount of the director of photographies since i retired because i started retiring when i was 67 so uh, it's an enormous amount of uh, new director's photography. So uh, the technologies and this, the producers and everything has changed a lot. So um, I don't want, I don't, I'm not very much interested in integrate myself into this type of uh, shooting. All right, <laughs> so, that makes sense. 
it depends on the script and depends on who's the director and the producer. So like this film in Spain attracts me. So I'm still, I work with the, the producer in two movies. Uh, I got awards. So yeah, so, yeah. You're in a position, you've built a, an amazing body of work. And yeah. now you're in a position where you could, if you'd like to work, you you sort of could on a project that you're passionate about, but not, you don't need to work just to sort of work, you know? No. Yeah. It's, so that's amazing. You know, you've done movies, you know, it's a very hard experience. Very, yeah. Very hard, very hard to make uh, yourself work like, uh, I don't know, 12, 14 hours during such an amount of time is, uh, is very difficult. It's very difficult and very hard to do it for, uh, for any human being physically. Absolutely. Very well. I, I, I'm, I'm happy why? you say that because I, um, me and my producer, George, we, we always say that when we're talking to younger film students, we always say, hey, there's some element to this field that it's almost like blue collar lab labor. There's more... There's more physically involved than you you would imagine. You know, I don't I don't know oh. if people always know that before they get involved with it. The new people no, 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 they don't know. They don't know what's involved. I mean, uh, you learn that you learn that uh, it's difficult. You have to have a uh, respect for others. You have to uh, uh, be very controlling your temper. <laughs> Uh, I work in, in the school of American film. I had a good teacher, uh, Falsey. That later on, I've seen that he has done a lot of movies, George Falsey. And uh, he said that uh, respect, at that time he was retired, <laughs> perhaps like I am now. He was said respect um, for the people around you in the set is very important. So, Ultra important. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Because it's such a collaborative medium. So, you know, it's almost like you're at camp when you're with these people, you're all working so closely together. I always think of it as like, it's almost like you're away at camp or something. Yeah, exactly. And if you have a good crew, they will do anything for you as a director or as a cameraman. If you have problems with that crew, they will want to stop any time, on time, uh, no meal penalties, nothing. So it's good to have a good crew and respect them. I say in your favor. <laughs> well said. Uh, well, Juan, I really appreciate you being on the Globe Screen podcast. It was such an honor to talk to you. I've, I've growing up, I've watched a lot of your films and, uh, Good. You know, and I've uh, appreciated your work like so many other people. So it was, it was real, really a pleasure talking to you. Good, Seth. I wish you the best in your career as a director or screenwriter. Thank you so much. And thanks again to your daughter, Hara, for being so nice and coordinating the Zoom session. <laughs> yeah. thank, thank you so you. much. And hope thank you guys you. enjoy the holidays and everything. Thanks, yes, thanks yes, again, guys. Yes. Bye. You too.